Welcome to Potadelphia. My name is Dave Diorio. You can find me on Twitter at fat underscore lobster. And I'm joined by two guys who are frickin' confused as to what time it is. What's up, Chuck and Gene? <laughs> <laughs> I could put money on the fact that you'd reference the time change. I think if you want to go back to the archives, the last time there was a, uh, a change in the time, uh, Dave mentioned it like five times in the show, like it was the first time that ever happened. But um, it's our normal recording time, but it does definitely feel late. Uh, this is Chuck Siders. You can find me at Chuck Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. And I'm Gene Zilak. You can find me at Producer Gene on Twitter. And uh, the other thing that I've been trying to battle with time about is trying to make time for all of these things that are happening that I want to watch and only having one set of eyeballs. Um, unfortunately, I can't just plug in my brain to some sort of device that'll just download all of the highlights and results and uh, formulate my opinions for me that I can just regurgitate out to you on Sunday nights. You're not rocking multiple screens during the day. You don't have something up on the TV, something up on the phone, something up on the computer. I mean, I do have all of that. I still feel like I don't have enough ability to actually follow all of that. You need well, like a true. matrix, a matrix style uh, upload. Yeah, I need to just like slide into some sort of like vat of goo. Whoa, I know NFL stats. <laughs> well, it's, it's about it's time really somebody strange. on the show does. <laughs> I was desperately trying to think of something that rhymed with Kung Fu and was appropriate, and I just came up short. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, uh, what an exciting week. I mean, this week has just been, like, uh, unbelievable. Every night there's been something that has happened that has said, I, I can't wait to get on the show to talk about this. And uh, – I'm sorry, guys. Like, with all due respect to the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, we got to start with the uh, with the hometown starting five basketball team. Starting five, five and O oh basketball team. Hell yeah, one, two, three, four, five and O oh Sixers. Damn straight. I wanted to record this show last night. After that Sixers win, I wanted to go like fuck it. You know, we'll we'll vamp our way through the Eagles. And, you know, just record them. I was so hyped after that win. Yes. Do we want to start with like last night and go in reverse? The Portland game? I mean, it doesn't really tell the story, but it's just like. No, no, no. So, they, tell no, the story I just better. Mean, like, but... I'm just so excited about that game. I know, but I feel like we got to build up to it because I think that there's a lot that happened earlier in the week that kind of feeds into what happened last night. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, it starts with the Atlanta <laughs> Hawks. <laughs> uh, the Atlanta Hawks earlier in the week, this is a team that uh, they won three or four against us last season. Um, kind of have our number, uh, but it's a new squad. Well, and they do it a lot of the things that traditionally over the last couple of years we can't handle. They have a, a shifty point guard that uh, is uh, kind of like a dead-eye shot. And, uh, you know, they can play fast. They're also, they've been kind of like, at least for the last two years, kind of been like that sexy pick to like make waves in the East, you know, that they're, you know, they're suddenly going to kind of come into their own at some point. Um, and they, they do do a lot of things really well, which is why I feel like we've had such bad luck against them. But I was really surprised how we played against them this year. 
and the Hawks, you know, they get a lot of crap for the Luka Doncic uh, trade and everything. But, man, I'll tell you what, Trey Young is a son of a bitch, that guy. <laughs> I, I mean, there's he's a very annoying person to play against. Because he's so good, you know, it's like annoying. Like, you know, they were mentioning during the broadcast how he can shoot from the logo, and it did seem like everything he threw up found its mark. And this is something that, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, we feel this way because we're Sixers fans, but it just feels like teams that shoot well shoot really well against the Sixers sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, and this is one of those games where, you know, walking into the season – one of the big question marks is, okay, I love the length. I love the defense first. Uh, you know, I love the, the presence in the paint and everything. But I don't know, down by one with 10 seconds left, who's taking the shot, right? So this is really the first game where we're faced with that issue. Um, and we option to go. We go down low to, uh, to the big man, Joel Embiid. And, uh, you know as is what usually happens he either makes the basket or gets fouled and he gets right. fouled and you know a big man that can make free throws is pretty valuable yeah because you, you can't necessarily use the old hack-a-shack uh philosophy to kind of take him out of the game late that was always the knock on Shaquille O'Neal is you know there was a, a point where you kind of neutralize him by just throwing all of your your bench fouls at him you just literally go and and, and hammer him um, that's not something you can do to Joel Embiid. You can't. You can't just keep putting him at the line because he. There are nights where he's going to hit twenty four out of twenty six or something. You know, he he can put up that many free throws in a night. And it's not something we've seen that often in that situation. Them going to Joel. I, I don't think that we've been in a position where that was the the best option or the the, the most apparent option. I think that. In the past, you would look to other people where you would think like that should be a uh, you know a more a, a more traditional end of game shot type player. Specifically, last year, Jimmy Butler just kind of walked into the building with the "I'm the guy that can do that for you now." Um, yeah, and the year before that, it was JJ. It was always JJ. Right, and I, I don't know that JJ was ever that that was ever going to be JJ's mo. He would be able to do it occasionally, but I don't know that he was ever going to have that. That type of uh, real killer sh instinct. Uh, B Jimmy Butler even you know would tell you that he had it even on an off night, um, which uh, the the floor just the spacing. I don't know if you if you I was went back and um, there was a lot of chatter. There was a lot of talk about uh, they uh, one of the uh, one of the Bill Simmons things did a rewatch of uh, that game seven of last year, um, and uh, I hadn't really gone back and watched that game at all. Uh, normally I don't go back and rewatch heartbreaking games like that <laughs> at all. And I didn't go and, and, and listen to the whole like um, chatter that, that, you know, they usually do have a Sixers fan that sits in on that, on those things. But the one thing I did notice that we've always talked about, and it was really hard to kind of pick up maybe in context of watching the game is the floor was very badly spaced. There was constantly traffic, uh, our own players kind of getting in our own way. Ben Simmons, there were points in that game against the Raptors where he literally had no idea where to stand. Uh, he had no idea where to be, was was in was in traffic. And it's amazing that that team went as far as it did kind of the way it was made up. Very seriously, it, you know, it, it we always kind of said it didn't seem like it would ever work. And now watching the way that the team is constructed and you can actually kind of see how everybody has started to find their 
role and their rhythm in the in the offense and in the defense it's it's amazing how much one offseason can change without uh, you know when i think there was probably people coming into this year that thought that the sixers had a bad offseason it certainly feels like more of a cohesively thought out team this year than last year's just you know random frankenstein monster parts um all thrown together and then just turn on the juice and uh, see if this creature can walk its way to the to the NBA finals or not. Do you think that that's due to the fact that it was really constructed as uh, kind of as an improv? You know, you, you, you see who would become available and see if you can kind of throw them into the mix and and get over to the next step. Whereas in when you have a whole offseason with Jimmy Butler walking away, uh, you can kind of be like, well, let's let's try to have a, a coherent script now in front of us let's try to put a plan into place obviously when we talked about this last week i don't think that this was any thought in like sam hinkey's plan that eventually we're just going to be a, a floor full of giants but uh i think what was sam hinkey's plan was to put yourself in a position that you could have the flexibility to acquire the pieces for whatever plan you wanted to put into place when the time came when you wanted to flip the switch and the thing that i find most interesting about this sixers team is it feels like it was built counter to the way most teams are being built uh you know either the super team model or like the shoot the lights out model they they have those 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 speedy wings that can shoot threes and just try to bury people with with you know even if they don't get as many field goal per you know field goals on 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 possessions that they're just going to get way more threes than you and you'll just have to keep pace um the sixers really look like they are built to we will exhaust you for for two and a half quarters and if you can still walk at the end of the game if you can still get your arms over your head and throw throw the ball up maybe you can keep up with us but for a lot of bad teams they're just going to be gassed by the time they get into the middle of the third quarter uh yeah, I mean, and and uh, you you, you want to zig when everyone else is zagging, and you want to be the first one to start a a, a wave uh, or a trend, not not the last one. So if the Sixers decided to build a, a you know a sniping team, a three point shooting team, they'd kind of be the the last ones to the party, kind of like the Phillies are with their. Uh, um, you know, metrics driven front office, you know, I, I think if, if everyone else is doing that, if you build a defensive group of monsters to, to go out there and, <laughs> and just swat everything and, uh, and really bear down and, and make it insanely frustrating for the opposition. Um, I, I think it's an effective strategy, uh, in today's NBA, um, and you're seeing that with the opponents, and and I, I think you might start to see it with the referees because um, Allah alluded to it in the last broadcast. He said, you know, when in doubt, just call the foul on the Sixers because they are so big uh, and they do play so physical. So you know, you I think refs are going to start leaning that way on those 50-50 calls, especially with the offensive fouls. Oh, uh, offensive fouls. You know, I'll agree with you there. I wonder if it might go around on the defensive end where, you know, if there is this commentary of people defaulting to to fouling the Phillies, like calling fouls on the uh, Sixers, um, you know, presuming that, okay, yeah, these guys, the only way they can play defense is to be so aggressive and to foul. You know, I think it's only going to take, you know, a few 
highlights on ESPN to show, hey, no, they're really defending well and they're not committing fouls um, for for that narrative to change and then refs to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, the offense fouls, I think, in uh, a game the other day, someone was talking about the way Ben leads with his elbow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's going to get him in trouble, even when it's not really a foul, just looks a lot more like it. A foul. It really does look bad because when he goes in for a drive, he does dip that shoulder down um, and it does look pretty violent. Uh, so I'm not surprised that, that he gets those calls against them. Yeah, and but- it's and it's going to be a tough habit to break because I feel like that's the kind of thing he's probably done since he was, you know, since he picked up a ball to dribble. Like that's just that's just something that's in his DNA. That's going to be a really that's going to be a tricky thing. It's almost one of those things where you don't know if you want to, uh, you know, coach that out of him because you don't want to take. I would rather have him take a couple offensive fouls than lose his aggression to the basket. Yeah, word. Uh, Chuck, you are our resident checking expert. Uh, how would you break down Mike Scott's uh, check, uh, which got him ejected from the Atlanta game? Um, well, I, I'd say it was a fine check. Um, would not not incur a penalty uh, in the NHL. No, it, no, most definitely would not. No. Um, it's kind of how I play basketball and why no one will play <laughs> basketball with me. Um, so <laughs> I think it was perfectly fine. You know, Mike Scott is a, I don't know, he at least loves hockey jerseys. So maybe sure. he was channeling, you know, his inner, uh, uh, Cronwall there, but I, I'd say, um, for a, for a no checking league, that was a good check. Nice body contact could have, could have gotten away with it, but I understand right. why he's tossed. Okay. Legal check in the NHL. Effective way to go Black Friday shopping, but definitely not acceptable in an NBA basketball game. Probably, yeah. I mean, look, he's in a position there where, look, and you you cannot soft foul there. Right. If you you have to soft foul there and he gets the shot off, it's an and one, you're not doing your job. So it has to be a, a foul that doesn't allow the shooter to shoot anything. Um, so he probably should have just like done a bear hug, sort of a wrap up. Yeah. Just wrap him up. But the dude didn't even fall down. I know. I, that's the thing that was a kind of a strange in real time. Yes. That was a hard foul. Maybe, you know, see, I don't think it was even a, a technical foul. Um, but it certainly was not. What did they give him? They gave him what they call that a flagrant two. A flagrant two. Uh, which yeah, I feel like it wasn't. Some... A, it wasn't like a basketball move. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's not something I heard growing up. Like I don't remember hearing about Bill Lambeer and his flagrant twos. You know, I mean, like I feel like <laughs> Rasheed Wallace uh, didn't have a lot of flagrant twos. Like I feel like that's kind of a newer invention uh, in, in the more modern NBA. But uh, you know, the, the the theory still applies. Like that is that was not like just a uh, there was a strategic we- reason why he he did what he was doing, and you could see there was not a necessarily a intent to harm yeah an intent to harm it was an intent to uh, you cannot shoot here uh which is in and of itself an act of aggression to a certain degree you know when other than playing defense but to to throw the guy out of the game there was ridiculous well the, and the, the the broadcast keeps talking about the what are they calling it the whiff 
the wind up impact and follow through. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, I, I, whatever, it's just like a catch in the NFL. Like you can really break it down frame by frame and try to, to analyze it. But if you just look at the foul, you, any normal person would look at that and go like, whoop, that was pretty rough. All right. But like, I think we can move on from that. I don't think anyone saw that and said, this guy should be out of the game. If it was one of those things where he put the guy on the floor and then st- stood over him <laughs> and taunted, like, yes, no, I get it. But, like, he, Mike Scott. We can't has, stand over somebody that didn't fall down. Right. And that's the thing is because <laughs> Mike Scott was, as he was, would have made any attempt to, you know, any possibility of losing balance, Mike Scott was, was, was pulling him back up and extending his hand to shake his hand, like in sportsmanship. And that's the thing. Like, Mike Scott has, has, does not have a reputation of being necessarily a a dirty player. He's a hard player. He's an aggressive player. But I don't think he has the reputation of being uh, dirty or underhanded or anything like that. Like that, it's not like he comes in like with the you get you better watch him because he's gonna he's gonna throw a cheap shot. It reminds me of Mike Richards, and you know not the oxycotton problem, but the way when people would go to check him and he would just sort of firm up and they do more damage to themselves or the like subtle step out of the way you know i see mike scott is going like eh, i'm gonna make contact here and it's gonna be good contact like i'm not going to go out of the way to hurt you i'm not gonna you know throw a flagrant foul which for the love of god don't ask me to define um <laughs> but i think he if he's going to make contact with you it's it's going to be hard contact. He's going to prep himself in such a way that it's, it's not going to tickle. Yeah. And I also enjoy how he, um, after he got, after he got ejected, he, uh, he went to go shake hands um, with the opposition. Just kind of like, I don't know. To me, it kind of seemed like you believe this freaking bullshit. Yeah. Well, and the amazing (laughs) thing is if you watch the ref and some of the, some of the other people, like uh, I guess the, the arena staff or whoever, there's so many people on the sideline of an way more people than you think should be on the sideline of an NBA game. Uh, and and they're like, oh, my God, Mike Scott's going back over there. Like, really, did, did you really think that this was the kind of thing that was going to warrant him going over and slugging the guy? It, it was uh, so, yeah, no, nah, it was it was an interesting kind of way to, to wrap up the the incident. All right. So. uh so at that point we're three and zero, and and that sets up um, a battle of undefeateds uh, as we go to face the Minnesota Timberwolves um, at home. Now, right? Was it was yeah, that how this? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and here's the question: Coming into this game, did you think, oh man, this is a no. going to be a real battle out of the West with an undefeated? No, Wolves. I was confused as to how that was the uh, you know another undefeated team. I'm like Timberwolves are not that. Good. I, I I never find them to be that good. There, there's a list of players that the NBA thinks ha- very highly of. That w- I guess for whatever reason, whether it's Joel Embiid owns them or or what. But th- when I watch them play the Sixers, they don't. They're not that good. They don't like Andre Drummond is like number one on the list there. Like. You know, he's supposedly like a good player. You know, you could put uh, Hassan Whiteside on that list. I would even put Anthony Davis on that list. He yeah. does not have good games against the Sixers. I've I've watched 
Andre Drummond play a game, I think, again, it was either like the Magic or the Heat or somebody, and I think this was last year, and I was amazed that it was the same player that put up like, I think he put up like 19 and 10 or something against uh, against one of those Florida teams. I was like, how is this the same guy who can look so impressive in this game that looks like an absolute, just, just like a like a, yeah. like a bag of crap, like a bag of garbage against Joel Embiid, who looks like a head case against Joel Embiid. Yeah, but Carl uh, Anthony Towns is one of those guys too. So coming into this game, you know, you're looking at, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. You got Covington coming back. He's actually playing this game. Um, but then they do the Rocky thing. You see that Carl Anthony <laughs> Towns and Covington? Yeah, they they, they, they run did. the Rocky yeah. steps and but, everything. But honestly, it was one of those things where it almost felt like. Covington kind of said, guys, you got to come. You know, this was my town. You got to do the touristy stuff. It didn't seem as insulting as when the Vikings went and dressed no, no, no. the Rocky well, the, statue up. I don't know that the Vikings actually ever did it. I guess or it was Vikings more like fans. fans. Yes. Yeah, but, but this actually kind of seemed like we're in town and and we're going to do some Philly touristy stuff. And maybe it was, the, yeah, it was the, a little hokey. It definitely was hokey. And and maybe I, I maybe I give it the benefit of the doubt because I think highly of Robert Covington and, and think that that would be the kind of thing that he might do. Yeah. No, I didn't Gene, see any, uh, did Gene, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're right, but the coincidence of Minnesota and Minnesota and the Rocky, you know, statue and the Rocky steps and all, I'm sure this was just, Hey, let's go do the touristy stuff in Philly while we're here. But as a fan, as like seeing it happen on Twitter, it's like, oh my God, Minnesota's doing it again. Why would you tempt fate? <laughs> yeah. No, you have a yeah, point there. I also didn't see any um, sort of shady looking characters at the top of those steps offering to take your picture for um, either drugs or drug money. Do you mean to imply that it was not like the full Philly experience by not? Yeah, I don't think it was fully authentic. Okay. Yeah. No, it was probably staged for social media. It was a little sanitized uh, experience. So anyway, so on to the game, like yada, yada, yada. The Sixers are freaking blowing the doors off of Minnesota as we usually do. It was insane Um, how they could literally do whatever they wanted down low. It looked like they were playing like a, like a junior high school squad. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's the, then it's the fight. The Carl Anthony Towns Joel Embiid fight, and honestly, this was, and I watched this game in a strange way because I I started it like it was a West Coast game. Basically, the game was over by the time I had actually started watching the game, and all I knew is that something happened in the third quarter. That's all I knew. Um, so then I was like watching very intently. Why? Because you had like forty unread texts from me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I saw a video uh, and uh, I was like, oh, my God, something's going to happen. And so I was waiting and waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden, like, it's almost like you missed it. Like you hear the, the and you see um, who was down on the other side of the court with uh, with 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 Horford, because Horford basically was like, oh, please stop. Um, no, don't fight. Uh, there was one of the other players was down there and like sprinted across it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, this was the thing and I'm going to miss it. And then I realized the broadcast, because of the way that play developed, yeah. Horford had gone on a breakaway. Everybody missed it, basically, unless you were in the building. And then they had to go back and show the replays and all the other angles. It was just such a bizarre thing to be like, oh, my God. So because I'm watching on recording, I kept rewinding it, not letting it get far enough to see the replay. <laughs> thing. So I probably watched the, the, the you know, the, the, the build up to the, to the thing, uh, you know, six or seven times before I realized I should just let it play out. Yeah. And this is a textbook example of. 
a, a player getting really frustrated with not being able to do what he is used to being able to do a lot. Like we talked about on our last episode, you know, when some of these guys play us and start to learn that they, they can't move and they can't get into the positions that they are accustomed to getting into. And we make them really uncomfortable and you can't do what you want to do. You get frustrated. And on top of that, Joel Embiid is a serious asshole and (laughs) will needle you uh, to the point where you can't stand it anymore. And while I think if you want to say Carl Anthony Towns started the fight, I think that's fine. Uh, But, um, you know, Joel Embiid definitely didn't do anything to not start a fight, I guess. We'll put it that way. (laughs) The other thing that was interesting to me is the broadcast had gone out, like, just as the third quarter had started, the broadcast had gone out of the way to be like, it's amazing how how nice that Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid seem to be behaving towards each other they're having a good competitive game there there doesn't seem to be any kind of roughhousing or anything untoward going on and then like literally on cue the the two of them break out into us yeah so towns actually throws a punch and b gives them a an eye gouge and they both go to the go to the hardwood which you don't really see all that often in an nba fight there's like usually a lot of just like shoving and then all the teams come in and break it up but these guys actually were able to get at each other for at least a minute and, and it's then like the middle-sized guys stand between the big big guys and then yeah. the coaches run in in suits and then ben comes in <laughs> as the peacemaker and and breaks it up and gets he gets carl anthony towns in the headlock i love i just love that ben got in there um to defend Embiid. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't just a headlock. That was a freaking chokehold, man. We're <laughs> naked choke. Oh, uh, that was glorious. Yeah. I, you know, the, the season is early. Uh, Ben's a great player in general, but the so far the season, I'm loving everything I'm seeing out of him. And that was just another part of it where it really feels like, you know, it's Joel one, Ben, you know, two, it's their team this year, you know, no matter what. And that was just another part of it. It's like, yeah, I got the big man's back. And, yeah. And, so, Chuck, and, I'm going to throw it back to you again. Okay. As the, the resident expert in a sport where fighting is actually sort of allowed in the sport. Who won the fight? Um, From a hockey standpoint, who won that fight? Well, from a hockey standpoint, I'm going to have to give it to you, uh, Joel. Um, first punch doesn't mean too much. Sure. The eye gouge, um, good move, but mostly (laughs) the celebration afterwards, the like shadow boxing in the crowd, the like walking off the triumphant hero. You know, that's one of those sometimes, you know, you get your ass kicked and you still won the fight. And unfortunately, the example I think of is Dan Carcillo and Max Talbot, uh, game six, uh, 2009, Flyers Penguins first round of the playoffs. Flyers were up three to one, and Talbot fights Dan Carcillo. Carcillo kicks his ass, and Talbot <laughs> shushes the crowd, and the fucking Penguins came back to win. <laughs> so Max Talbot won that fight. And yeah. it's it's a basketball fight. It is what it is. 
Joel won just because Joel fucking won everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like whether he actually won or not, or whether you think he won or not, Joel thinks he won (laughs) and uh, certainly um, celebrated as if he did. Uh, Actually, you know what? And and watching Mike Scott was like watching a grown man become a child again on Christmas morning. (laughs) I mean, he had a fucking twinkle in his eye. I mean, he was just so happy. I mean. It's amazing that he could find such joy in that. It was just great. It was great. And he was so excited. It was beautiful. It's amazing because there's there, there's probably some corners of the of, of the NBA fandom that this game, to a certain degree, was the birth of, of this year's supervillain. Um, and I think that there is certainly some truth to the idea that the Sixers, in most corners of NBA fandom, are going to be the bad guys. Um this is not going to be uh, the Sixers are not going to be like that beloved Golden State against uh, LeBron uh, a couple years ago. Oh yeah, we're not America's team here. No, it's we are not. We are going to be when we go in places, uh, we're going to get circled on people's calendars because they th- a lot of teams want to test themselves against us as well as they want to beat us because they don't like us. Um, and and there's already you can see just as teams are playing us. They think that they maybe are going to get one over on us, and and the frustration level builds in them so quickly that it, they mentally come out of their own games, and it's it's getting more and more fun to watch. That the Sixers are now going to get you more and more used to this is how how teams play us, and they're going to like psychologically be able to use their own frustration against them. It's already happening. It's really uh, two um, uh, Chip Kelly tweets actually, or two uh, Chip Kelly quotes actually come to mind when I talk about that Sixers team it's like it's uh big guys or big guys beat beat little guys mm-hmm. right and uh we're from Philly and we fight oh yeah and then Joel oh, god yeah all right so let's Joel give the quote let's do the quotes let's do the quotes real quick let's do, okay. I have the I have the uh the tweets and everything so after the game um Joel who really kind of before the season started swore off the trash talking uh to, to various, so immediately that gets lasted um says okay uh imagine <laughs> imagine talking after a 20 point loss you hate to see it laughing uh laughing my ass off go ahead using that pick of me caring about losing in the second round of the playoffs because i guess carl anthony towns posted the picture of joel crying after the yeah, uh, he after did. the raptors lost uh, oh wait you've never been there you don't know what it's like um uh, you finally won three games, and now you're talking. I know you ain't talking. You've been a pussy your whole life. That's why you're treated like a little bitch by you-know-who. I added the little. Um, I ain't going to put your business out there, uh, but I got the facts on you. Don't get it twisted. I own you. <laughs> and that's what Joel Embiid says. I mean, like, how, how, mu- how much do you love this guy? Well, and the amazing thing is how, like, if you go in, if you start to unpeel the onion of that of that tweet, you know where Joel Embiid got all of his like when he you know I know all about you with all that stuff like that's Jimmy Butler and and yeah and, and Joel <laughs> they must have been sitting around the locker room just talking trash on 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 Carl Towns like it's amazing to me it's almost as if like there's some like lingering sort of like it's almost like Butler came in uh like as a like as a mercenary and like taught these guys like how to have an edge 
and how to be badasses and then was like yo you know i feel like i feel like it's time for me to move on you you boys are ready to ready to grow and he you know he decided to head off to south beast to make you know to make some money uh but i don't i really do feel like th there's some sort of lingering like after effect like almost like butler left a like left a mark on this team that's gonna gonna reverberate for for years and and joel's response was so like it was like the fucking untouchables you know you would put one of ours in the hospital we put one of yours in the morgue like oh picture of me crying you want to show a picture of me crying fuck you buddy like i know shit <laughs> like i will come like yeah oh, he's this brutal and that's not even the the one thing i was thinking of the quote in the locker room of saying i'm a broad street bully <laughs> yes and it's just how can you not like it and i think the rest of the league does not like it no as, no as a fan of his it's just like he said uh he said i i, I was made for philly and philly's made for me damn he ain't no bitch yep first off i ain't no bitch i i honestly the man is the per it's just it, it's crazy to think like i don't know like if he got drafted by i don't know the rockets or something you know what i mean like would it be such a perfect marriage between player and city I don't think so, and it's amazing that it, it's it's a, finally like a like a seven foot guy from Cameroon that kind of like it, it doesn't Philly. seem like a natural fit. But you know, we tried to do it with like Sean Bradley, and that never never worked. Uh, we tried to do it with uh, Manute Bull, and that guy was a total yeah. stiff. Um, you know, finally we get the big guy, the 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 centerpiece. You know, the 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 general. I mean. Is El Joel Embiid the closest thing that we've had to a generational player other than maybe AI in the last 20 years? You know, this is he is a legit gener uh, generational talent. And the big knock on him, why he wasn't first overall, was because he was he was going to be he's going to take time to to, to kind of grow into him himself. It's so good that we finally had one of these bets pay off. All right. Well, let's let's just move on to like finally last night's game. Uh against so Embiid gets a two game suspension Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns get a two game suspension Simmons gets none uh I feel like that's really the best we could have hoped for out of that situation especially with all the trash talking and calling people a pussy and a bitch and, and all that stuff on social media um uh, it's it really I thought it was going to be more than that but two games is what we get uh so we have the the trailblazers and then the suns uh tough road trip to be missing your key player and predictably we just like last year, because I don't think we've played the Trailblazers with Joel Embiid ever. I don't think Joel uh, yeah, Embiid has ever it, played. It feels like he, uh, certainly not Portland. in Portland. Yeah, it seems like we're always out there without him. So this is a game last year without Joel Embiid. We lost by 35 points. Uh, we go in there, and it's kind of more of the same. We're down 20, uh, what, I guess at a little into the third quarter, and uh, Portland's just hitting everything. Rodney Hood, uh, McCollum, Lillard, they're just hitting everything. And uh, I could definitely see bailing on that game. Like, I, and I, I hope, I hope most of the people that, you know, are listening to this stuck with it because, wow, what a payoff. Yeah, I considered bailing on that game. Thankfully, I think around the time I considered bailing on it, Siren Live started. Okay. So I was able to flip over to, to Saturday Night Live to, you know, 
rejuvenate me and keep me up. But um, it and it it really looked bad in the third quarter. First half, we were always sort of trailing. Third quarter became like, all right, this this might be game. But if you stuck with it, man, they uh, there was a nice you know, like 13 point run or whatever the case may be. And we still trailed up to the, the very end of the, the fourth quarter, but it was, it was exciting basketball. It was yeah. exciting basketball, strong defensive basketball, right? Remind me a lot of a college game where it was just sort of back and forth and really fighting for possession as the game went on. Well, Portland was hitting over 50% of the threes. Um, for a, a large stretch of that game and you know it's unsustainable um, but you know could they carry it through like an entire game and, and that was sort of the question and once they started missing shots um, we were just so dominant in the paint against them they really had no answer for it and I think we got away from it a little bit in the second and third quarter um, you know but then we started making shots and, and, and we closed the gap and I think you know it's going to get overlooked by the four, uh, by the Corkmaz uh, three is that Ben Simmons iced two free throws uh, to give them their first lead of the game with like eight seconds left in in a, in a hostile building with a crowd that was foaming at the mouth. Uh, that was that was no easy task. Like that was that was really clutch of Ben. It, yeah, they fouled the guy they wanted to foul. It was amazing to me watching that game. There was a couple of other things, and I, I think that the other the other thing that might get buried is you know the coach made a really good decision to to spell uh ben simmons when he did and had basically to put it into like almost like football terms bring in the change of pace back when he when he brought in um the other point guard who had kind of like tj mcconnell type uh scrappiness and just kind of jolted uh the offense into uh you know a little bit uh you know and 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 Neto has that kind of like circus shot mentality um it was just it was just it's, it's almost like they just were managing to pull exactly the right levers uh when they needed to last night it was it was it was really fun to watch yeah and i got to say i've talked a lot of shit on Corkmas fortunately not on this podcast but <laughs> <laughs> just, i really you know me <laughs> chuck I was, I mean, Dave and I don't talk basketball off the air. I, I don't talk basketball off the air, but I was really wondering where that Corkmaz, you know, shit talk was, was coming from, but I'm happy to know that you, you know, fess up to it now. I think on it's a recording. mostly, it's mostly to your kids, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, I think one of the most amazing things about is how, how he got those big gold floppy feet clown shoes to not step out of bounds and not step on the, I mean, it really was incredible. I, you know, I, I don't know how people of that size um, are able to be so uh, graceful, I to, guess, or to maintain dexterity. your balance and still shoot an NBA distance three. It's, it's insane. The, yeah. the athleticism you have to have to do that. So, uh, and I yeah. certainly don't think of cork as like the athletic type. I, I will give the guy credit. Uh, one of my big knocks on him is he felt like he was completely, completely overmatched defensively last year. And he's not a good defender by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, no. But he does seem to at least – the one thing I do think that he's doing now that he didn't do last year is you see a certain amount of at least 
effort. And with with defense, you can kind of at least pull some of your own weight if you put in effort. He also has a lot more help than he did last year on the court with him defensively, so he doesn't get quite as exposed as he was. The problem is this team cannot afford to have him be that kind of a liability on defense and not also be in rhythm getting points. Like, he has got... And this is the second... You know, he didn't have a great game last night, but he did have a 17-point game against... um, I think it was in game two or game... Was it against Atlanta? He had a 17-point game. So the guy can put up points. It's like 17 points, I think, in like 18 minutes. So that's that's pretty good output for a guy that's that's going to be your eighth or ninth guy off the bench. Um. So, wow, I know we're kind of – we went a little long on the Sixers, but I think we had three super exciting games that, uh, you know, we needed to talk about. So it, Yeah, they're, they're, they're the most fun team in town right now. Like uh, They make I, me so happy when I think about them. <laughs> I do like a little jig when I think about the Sixers, which is, you know, kind of different than <laughs> when I think about some of the other teams in the city. Uh, but, hey, we got – if this is the way it's going to be all year, it's going to be a crazy, what, 77 games uh, left to go plus playoffs. So, uh, whew, wild ride. Dave, do you, do, right. you, do you think they – just my last point would be, do you think they survived the uh, the road trip with their uh... – with their winning streak intact, or you think that you, you think that they're they've got a loss before they get home? I don't know. They, they could lose to the Suns. You, you know what I mean? They decide, who else do they have? They out of uh, oh Denver. Denver, yeah. That's going to be a tough game, Denver. At least yeah. they'll have Joel back. They'll have Joel back for that. But the Suns game is going to be tough too. The Suns have been much better than I think people expected. And that you know this suspension is basically load management for us anyway, so it's fine. We'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I don't know what to say. It's going to be a great season. I'm so happy about the Sixers. Uh, Eagles played a football game today, and they won it. They did. (laughs) I I don't know, guys. Tell me if you're in this place that I'm in with the Eagles where it's like, I I am still keeping them at arm's length from my heart. I... I understand. I I don't know if that's exactly how I feel, but it's similar. Like the last two weeks, I've wanted them to win. Um, I was pleased that they did win, um, but it almost felt like treading water. It was, yeah, the season could have been lost, you know, by certainly losing the last two games if we had, but maybe by losing one of them, it's like, okay, downward tr- uh, trajectory mm. just you know scrap them entirely but by winning both of them it's kind of like okay cool we're hanging around um you know pretty soon we'll have to to get back up and you know win a game that matters a little more i mean it's football every game matters but it, it didn't it wasn't enough to excite me you know, I enjoyed the game. You know, there's things I saw that I was happy about. Of course, I was happy we won, but it wasn't enough to go, all right, man, I'm getting psyched up about the Eagles again. Right. You know, th- that door is kind of shut and it's, and it's hard to reopen. Well, I think the thing was, we really felt that we were going to be like that seven and one, seven and two team. And we aren't. And so it's really hard. I, I got to be honest, I'm still pissed about how we played Dallas. I'm still pissed about how we played Minnesota. Like I'm not over getting kicked in the, in the teeth 
at Jerry Jones Dome. Like I, I like that's that's not something like I just can. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If the if the Falcons game and the Lions game. So right now we're five and four. Yeah. If if we won the Falcons game and the Lions game, which we totally should have won both of those games, and it was completely within our ability to do so, even with the limited personnel that we had, it's because of fucking Doug. But if we had won those games and we're sitting here, we would be seven and two right now. Yeah. Would you feel differently or would you still be upset about getting our teeth kicked in against? I'd still be pissed Dallas, off about like, if, if, if if everything, all things being even, like we still go into Dallas and get our heads kicked in. Well, then I, I still feel like, you know, it, it's not like we go and lose to Dallas and it's close. Like I'm mad because we went and got embarrassed in Dallas. I don't, we've lost lots of games in Dallas. I don't like losing to Dallas ever. I really, really hate that Cowboys fans think we're a joke, that the Cowboys players think we're a joke. Like I, I do not like when that franchise and their fans disrespect us. Uh, you know, in that, in, in that sense, I'm like the old lady, uh, you know, at the Mayfair diner, you know, you can do anything you want, but you have to be Dallas twice a year. Like in that, like to that degree, that's, that's how I feel. But seven and two would certainly be a hell of a lot more comfortable going into, especially the, you know, the next three games. If we were seven and two, it depends how we won those seven games. If we won them in the same sort of fashion we did for the majority of the wins this season, I'd feel like it's a bit of a yeah. I don't no, it's a fraudulent. You, won them, way, you won them the way you lost them. You you squeaked by in a very tight game against you know Atlanta, where you didn't anticipate having those injuries, but. You know, you you had a flexible enough coaching staff to change the game plan and actually just yeah. run the football a little bit. And you did the same thing against the Lions, and you just, you know, you got by. And now you're actually starting to get players healthy again. I mean, it was really nice to see. Uh, now you're playing a shite secondary, you know, a, a shite uh, Chicago offense with a, no passing attack. Trubisky is hot garbage, um, and that team is really inept at moving the ball. But it was nice to see some secondary players actually making plays oh yeah no Jalen Mills made a really nice play on a ball Avante Maddox really impressed me mm -hmm. um you know I didn't it, it, the book has got to be out on the Eagles that if you want to beat them like run that post Jalen pattern, Mills you know? had a nice uh breakup yeah put, put in that game we don't give him enough credit sometimes put a double move on the outside and you'll be able you know run for 40 yards you know but it didn't seem like maybe Chicago just doesn't have the people personnel to do no. it but I never saw that at any point other you know they had a couple big plays on us but but honestly like the whole time I never really was like felt that that Chicago defense was dangerous enough to really to really win this game today. You mean the, you mean the offense, Chicago offense? Chicago offense, yes. I yeah, thought the okay. defense. I thought the thing I was most worried about was the turnover, honestly. Yeah, same here. And then the amount of points we left on the board. You know, those two nice sustained drives to come up with a field goal in each. Um like our Twitter feed pointed out, I think we were just, you know, rubbing salt in the wound. Uh <laughs> against the bears and their kicking struggles. But that, that one felt like, Oh man, I really have liked at least one of those to be a touchdown. And as the game went on to go back to Twitter, there was this consensus of like, Oh, it's beginning to feel 
you know, it's beginning to feel like the Titans game last year, which for me, it wasn't. I was, mm. I was a little uneasy, um, but I wasn't, I, it didn't feel inevitable that we we're going to lose this game. And Chicago just didn't seem to have enough weapons. And, you know, we seemed adequate uh, up until that game winning final drive, which it was really a relief to see. But again, a ton more drop passes today. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wentz just does not really have many reliable targets that he can go to out there. Um, and it looks like Alshon Jeffrey is kind of falling off the table relatively quickly all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, that is a precipitous drop it, it, from two years ago. I really... I wonder if he's still injured. Uh, he That was the thing. He did go into the medical tent at one point. He just doesn't seem like he's moving well to me. Like, it still seems like most of the times when he's coming off of getting hit... He is limping. Um, but my bigger problem than Alshon, who's probably trying to play through a very serious leg injury that he's trying to muscle through, where the hell are the other receivers? Like, what are they doing? Like, we, I watch every, and I always look to see where is Mac Hollins? What is this guy doing? I'm going to watch him. And he is never open. He's always chirping in the huddle. Like, I'm going to, this is going to be the play guys. I'm going to, I'm going to do something guys. He's always covered. He's, and he commits penalties. He commits penalties. He doesn't block anybody. He doesn't do anything. He's just taking up space. He doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't even get targeted. He is the biggest waste of a roster spot. I have ever seen like he maybe does he make tackles on special teams? He better do something. He is the biggest waste of a roster spot. He is he is not a wide receiver. He's a, he's a joke. Wow. Tell us how you really feel. So no Matt Collins jersey for you. No, I not the not Christmas tree this year. I mean, it was on the list, but I, I you know, <laughs> but I said only if it's like one of those like ones you get from China that takes six weeks and like the the lettering now you can is upgrade to a like slightly a cork off. Jersey. Yeah, I think I will get a cork moss jersey. <laughs> Oh one of the city series ones uh, i can't keep track of the sixers jerseys th this year i need you know i need a cheat sheet they'll have subtle subtle differences yeah um i don't know like what else guy i i don't it, to me it's like i'm really just treading water with the eagles until we find out what they're really made of after the bye week we get the patriots in here we get the seahawks in here if they win either of those games, I'll be back in. That was going to be my question is, does what is it that would bring you back in? And I almost almost exactly like you were going to say, if they can win one of those two games, and we get them both at home, right? Yeah, they're both yeah. home. Yeah. Thank God. If we could win just one of those two games, then I'll, like, I'm like, now you've got a second signature win on your resume. And the other thing that kind of, as the day went on when the NFL today, I got to see that there are other teams – who a lot of people thought that the stink wasn't, you know, that they were, they didn't stink, um, you know, or, or were smelling themselves a little bit, got humbled today. Um, you know, I can't imagine that anybody was betting uh, the Chargers over over the Packers today. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that the Chiefs had a really hard game today that I wouldn't have expected. Well, um, they didn't have Mahomes. Yeah, but you know, they ended up coming through it. But uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough game. Um, there was another kind of. They won that game, right, uh, yeah. against the Vikings. And I guess they did. Yeah, I mean, that could I, be an important game. Oh know, yeah, as far no, as the I, NFC landscape. Yeah, is yeah. I think that the Vikings are a pretty good team, and and for the Chiefs to to end up holding them off was was really good for for everybody. 
the the Lions game was the other one I was surprised uh, kind of ended up going the way that it went. That's two teams probably they're about about evenly matched. I think they played the Raiders. Uh, and then but right before he came up, now this may have turned, so you guys might have better idea than I do. But uh, seventeen nothing, the the Ravens were were looked like they were gonna kick the snot out of uh out of Brady and and the boys. Uh, I don't know how how that's going now, but uh, uh, currently thirty to twenty Ravens. Okay, so the Ravens are still. Still hanging tough. Um, so, you know, part for the course, it seems like this year, we're going to get an angry Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in two weeks. So, And I'm sorry, I will not – I'm not going to sit here and say that the San Francisco 49ers are the best team in the NFL. Yeah, like, I, I mean – and, and they feel to me kind of like Didn't the, they beat uh, the Redskins 9 the, nothing? <laughs> they feel to me like the 2001 Bears. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember that season. It was like the Eagles got in and, and we kind of just said, wow, if we can win this first round game, we could go to Chicago and that would feel like a cheap second round. We could win that game. Yeah. You know, and that that's kind of how I feel about the 49ers. It's like, oh, they'll get a bye. And then if you can just advance and get to go to San Francisco – that's where you'll get your second round win on the road. Yeah, that's your th- easy path there. I think that that would that, that makes a lot of sense. It's a really good comparison. I, I I keep expecting the 49ers to get exposed. I keep expecting them to get run off the, the run off the field at some point, and they just haven't yet. Which I think is probably a testament to the fact that they have a really well built, yeah, real well, well built defense, and that they are very committed to the run game. Which is, I think, really the Eagles should take note of and be like, you know, this is how an offense can turn out wins. Doug abandons the run game with the lead today. Yeah, this I don't know. Annoying. How many times does he have to learn the lesson? I can't I can't recall. It's you know what are we nine games in this season uh now or whatever the case may be. I don't know how many times talk about well maybe this is the week. All right, we're going to go away from this game going, yep, our running game works for us. Our running game helps establish the throw. Our running game keeps the other team honest. And, you know, we started well running. Running was a a fixture to to build the lead. And then it's just, hey, let's get a three and out. You know, (laughs) just run to, 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 Bring down the damn clock. One of the things that I didn't understand at all, there's a there's a drive in the third quarter. I think it was like our third drive. Uh, Sanders and Howard didn't come on the field. It was three downs of Darren Sproles. And I don't I don't understand how after this many games, we can still consider that a, a good, like a winning strategy. Who handles the running back rotation? Uh, thanks, Doug. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Again, it's at no point. Then Deuce, I don't understand why you wouldn't, why you would put just Darren Sproles in for three straight plays. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like okay, spell one or the other. But at this point, like Miles, I would rather see Miles Sanders in the screen game than Darren Sproles. Like I feel like right now, Miles Sanders is better at the thing that Darren Sproles is really good at right now. Just fucking stop with the Darren Sproles shit. I mean, like. Seriously, we need to move. We need to move on from this. I'd have rather seen Boston Scott even. Like at least that guy's a tiny, like a little bowling ball. <laughs> he is like a bowling ball. <laughs> um. <clears throat> all right. What else about the Eagles? Anything else about the Eagles? I want to talk about some flyers. Yes, let's. We saw lots of shootout attempts this uh, this week. 
damn straight we did uh so 11 round shootout yesterday we'll see, uh, do we know what the nhl record is for that i don't know what it is i feel like it was like 23 rounds and it might have been in like the very first season they had it yeah that but, might be the longest flyers uh i think the flyers had a longer one again in the very first season of the shootout or or an early one because i remember sitting in a bar just watching like again and again and again but that's certainly the longest i recall in a while and uh it was exciting shootout moose looked great um so this was last night against the yeah this last night against um last night against who the hell did we play leafs leafs thank you i thought you said canadians and i blanked (laughs) i think canadians are this week aren't they uh there it is the leafs right it's not the leaves yes it's the leafs yeah so which just fucks you up in the fall and like you're trying you have two young children it's like all right go pick up like three leafs (laughs) yeah Yeah. like but um uh the the last two games uh, good games you know good recovery uh after that horrible showing in pittsburgh horrible showing in pittsburgh to have the team rebound and Hart win, um, Hart win, period, end of sentence. Right. The fact that Carter Hart won a game, played the whole game against the Devils, uh, looked good in the shootout, did a little boosh celebration when he won, and then Elliott have another good game against the Leafs. And so it's more reasons to be optimistic. Uh, a lot of kids still looking good on the team a little less optimistic than we were in the past, but the end of the week really helped salvage the beginning of it. So any thoughts as to what caused the the meltdown in Pittsburgh? Was there any, was it just not our night? Was it uh, something that they do that we just don't cope well with? Uh, was it, you know, I, I don't know what it, 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 it baffled me, honestly. Uh, I don't know. Lots of things. And it, it was a, a bit, baffling you know there there's been some talk of this is a new system you know elaine vigno brought in a system that takes a while for people to get adjusted to it and we've seemed fairly well adjusted to it for for most of the season and that doubt that that transition game to keep the pucks out of our zone or if they get in our zone to get them out quickly and into the attacking zone, into the opposition zone, just was not happening in Pittsburgh. They kept us penned in our own zone. Um, Elliott did not look good. Our defense did not look good. That, actually, on that thought real quick, you know, outside of a few heart clunkers, our defense has really set the, set the tone. When our defense is having a good night, we win, and we dominate possession. When our defense is having a bad night with lots of turnovers, not able to retrieve that puck, then it's an ugly night. Please don't tell me this is one of those situations where our system, our new system now, just happens to play to specifically Pittsburgh's strengths and abilities. I'd say no. Okay. I'd say no. I think, I think what we saw in Pittsburgh was a... Uh, an older team, a more experienced team, 
had saw blood and water, smelled blood and water, and just pounced. Okay. And then, so no, I, I wouldn't say that game is going to be indicative of how we line up against Pittsburgh. I think the way the Flyers played against the Golden Knights the first couple games of the season, um, even moments against the Devils, if we get back to that style of play, we can play with anybody in the league. It's a really dominating way to to play. It's a hard way to play. It is. It's yeah. winning a lot of puck battles. It is, you know, throwing the puck in deep and then retrieving it. It's not an easy way to win, but when it's clicking, the Flyers look great. They do seem to be good at it to a certain degree. When they when they, it just seems like it takes a lot of mental. Like their mental reps, you know, that they've had mm-hmm. to put into it, and that to a certain degree, like when you've got to maintain that level of energy and that level of level of concentration, there can be a wear down factor on that. But also, I think that they are able to, and I think this is kind of what how it worked at the end of the week. They're able to kind of rely on their system or rely on their strategy, their 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 plan, so to speak. And if they 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 go back to, you know doing the the things that have kind of been instilled they can get themselves back into games and then it's going to keep them from getting getting going on long runs of losing streaks i i hope that that's what's gonna be the result yeah i hope so too um hopefully travis sanheim turns around around his game a little bit um he's had a lot of bad luck uh like he twice fell down this week and that immediately led to goals so that's not good. Um, some of his decision-making has been pretty bad. It, it's just he hasn't been the same player as he was last season, which happens. It, it, we have a very young team, so we can have these little bits of regression. And you know, something I would definitely want to touch on was right now our number one goal scorer is Oscar Lindblom. And Lindblom has been in this pipeline for a while you know he became a full-time nhler last season didn't make a huge impact made some you know he was a good player but really wasn't a, a game changer this season he is but it takes a while to get those reps in to go from a useful tool to a, a real key cog in in the team in the in the structure of the team do you think that that's directly tied to the new coach. Well, yeah, Hackstall used him really poorly. Hackstall didn't trust him. Well, and let's just talk about that. Hackstall didn't trust the kids. There was a lot of talk about Elaine Vino didn't play the kids in New York. And I don't really know where that may have come from. I don't know how accurate it is, but we had Joel Farabee out in overtime. You know, we have a lot of his team riding on the kids. So, yeah. but also I just think it's experience. I think, it's less of you get less of that fluctuation from one game to a next of what's it going to be? Is this guy consistently good? Whereas you get, you know, a few years of experience in, you can just trust them. Even Travis connect me. We're in, I guess, year four of connect me. And he is having a breakout year. He's going to be an all-star this year. He's probably going to be our most productive offensive player all year. And it took a while to get here. So 
before we run away from the Flyers, I, I do want you to touch on what was A.V. doing when he, he made some of those comments about uh, throwing some shade at uh, at at the captain and, and some of the, the more veteran players or the star players? Do, do you think he was trying to light a fire? Uh, what, what do you... What do you uh, what do you make of all that? Well, here's a, a great thing about AV and a great difference between him and the last go around is just how transparent he is. Like you're hearing it from players they they know why they're getting scratched. They know why they're getting sent down the phantoms. They know why their playtime is increasing or decreasing. And I think, you know, when uh, Vino talks to the media, he's being transparent and yeah, probably message sending and, you know, probably doing it to push certain buttons to, to maybe, you know, I- encourage the veteran players to do more, to not call out some of the younger players, you know, not go, Hey, we need our third line or fourth line to be better. Well, it's always, you know, you can pick on the superstars to go, hey, you got to do more. Um, and just to go, I have a quote in front of me here. It's like, we need our top players to lead the way for us, lead the way by how they have to play on the ice. We need G to be a top end performer like he's been for the past few years. We need Jake to be a top end performer like he's been for the past few years. We need those guys to lead the way for us with their play on the ice, and I'm confident that's going to be the case. Have they been top end performers the the past few years? Yes. Yeah. Drew, Drew had a really good year last year. I actually yeah, went I back so. and looked up his statistics, and it was like, man, that is way more points than I thought that he'd actually put up. Uh, it, yeah. it always. Seems I believe to in the last ten years, he's either third or fourth in overall scoring yeah, in were... the in the league. He's Drew's yeah. going to be a Hall of Famer. All right, so and, look, and Boracek's a good player too. So looking ahead, Chuck, what we have, we have a lot of games this week, at least three, right? And I know we have uh, some stuff in them. It's in the Metro, right? I know we have the Canadians game, but I think the other two games are division games, and we play. Uh, we are back against the Leafs at home mm-hmm. next Saturday, I believe. Yeah, uh, November's a busy month. We're gonna make up for all those, you know, games we didn't have early on but november's a busy month and it's not an easy one coming up this week uh we have carolina montreal toronto and boston before we record again so uh really it's only one divisional game but it's not easy carolina is a dynamic team they they will outwork you they will outchance you um, I think our goaltending is better, even though our goaltending is not at the top of its game. Carolina's going to be a tough game. Montreal, nothing to sneeze at. Not one of the most notable teams we're playing this week, but Montreal is a good team. Toronto, again, uh, coming up on Saturday. They're a good team. We, we played them hard. Um, if Tavares is back, they're an even better team. That game is going to be in Toronto. And then on Sunday in Boston. And Boston, uh, Pasternak is playing at a whole nother level this year, and he's he was good at the previous level. Boston is a deep, tough team. Following that, we got Washington next week. Ottawa, thank God for a break there. And the Islanders, who've won, yeah. I think, nine in a row. 
So it's going to be a real tough two weeks. But if we can, if we can get a win over Carolina and or Montreal and look good doing it, hopefully that'll be enough to, to turn the team around to get them going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, we need to see Carter Hart playing better against teams that aren't the devils. Yeah. And he's going to have to do it this week. And yeah, and uh, I would imagine Elliot gets started against Carolina. Maybe May Hart gets started against Montreal, and and then they'll you know, sp- and then they'll split the weekend, right? Yeah. Oh, they'll definitely split the weekend. Hopefully, we start out next week's show talking about them, which is with as much enthusiasm we talked about the Sixers this week. We're running out of time, so let's run into Chuck's penalty box. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. And as you're running into the penalty box. Uh, I'm going to put Gene. Gene, who is in your penalty box this evening? Okay, so uh, late, uh, late addition to the penalty box for me. I, I was going to go one direction and um, decided to go with this. Uh, a lot of chatter. You put one direction in the penalty box. I thought about it. I, I'm just, okay. I'm just, I'm just not in the boy. It wouldn't bands. have been a bad choice. So it's like <laughs> an evergreen opportunity there. Yeah, I, I figured mean, that. I figured that'll keep. Pre or post <laughs> Harry Styles? Uh, all of the above. Just uh, okay. don't like that. Um, <laughs> So uh, the CBS broadcast team doing the that was cut. If the I don't know which team we had, but the 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 team that CBS had for um, for the Browns game, there was uh, some apparently some chatter about footwear during the first uh, first half of the game. Uh, Odell Beckham and uh, Jarvis Landry had some really sweet looking flashy cleats on. Uh, and they had, you know, a lot of times you'll see these NFL players, you know, during warmups will have those, you know, interesting cleats or whatever. And then those will usually be auctioned off for charity or whatever. Or they'll have a friend that they want to give us some some dap to that they'll they'll wear their their shoes. And, you know, they'll do some interviews or whatever in them. And then they change to the game cleats. Well, it didn't look like Landry and, and, and Beckham changed to their game cleats during the first half. So they uh, they apparently were met. Uh, in the locker room at halftime by uh, I didn't know that there was a branch of the in government that did this, but it was apparently the NFL uniform task force or the NFL uniform police who I met them. It's not a government organization, but go on. Okay. <laughs> Tax dollars at work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very small nerdy guy with, uh, with a clipboard. <laughs> and, uh, Apparently, the he told them whoever whoever the representative of of whatever branch of the service this is from, um, they they told them that they would not be allowed back on the field unless they changed their cleats to something that was approved by the NFL uniform standards. So, look, you know that I am uh, maybe of the three of us even the biggest fashion Adelphian. Um, but, uh, which I think is a phrase I've just coined, uh, fashion Adelphian. Uh, but the idea that they would not be allowed back onto the field seems like really extreme to me. Um, you know, maybe levy a hefty fine, but to not let them continue to play seems, uh, seems absurd. But, um, you know, they, they met the standards they put on other cleats and then in the second half uh they they did uh, the broadcast team did update uh to show that they had changed to other shoes uh much more boring less fun shoes so uh in this case uh, it's really something i could do every week i'm going to put the no fun league and their government arm 
that uh, is is going around and telling these star wide receivers that they have to put on their less fun shoes. All right. So for the NFL's uh, fashion and uniform enforcement brigade, you are getting a 10 minute game misconduct because in the NFL, you can beat your wife. You can beat your kid. You can be uh, investigated for murder and still play, but you better be wearing the right shoes. All right, Dave, who is in your penalty box? Um, I'm going to I'm going to uh nitpick. Can I nitpick for a second? Please. Pick those nits. All right. Um uh, you guys seen this Wells Fargo commercial? Uh this is Jerry. Oh, it sounds familiar. You know, so basically Wells Fargo has a service where you can see all of the things that you make reoccurring payments yeah. to. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then unsubscribe from them or unenroll from them to save you money if you no longer use them. So Jerry notices that he has a subscription to a streaming service that he doesn't use anymore. So he unsubscribes from it. Uh, Jerry notices that, you know, he has a, a, a reoccurring payment to, I, I don't know, whatever loyalty, whatever. But one of the things that Jerry in the commercial notices that he subscribed to is his gym. And Wells Fargo wants me to believe that they can, you can go online to this platform and stop your subscription to your gym. If anybody listening has ever been a member of a gym and has tried to quit this gym, you know, it is, they make it diabolically impossible for you to unsubscribe from their reoccurring payment to the gym. You have to go in person. You have to sign paper in triplicate. This, the person that can unsubscribe you or unenroll you is only there four hours a day on weekdays. It's, it's impossible to quit a gym. You cannot just go online and click a button and unsubscribe from your $100 a month gym membership. So I just wanted to put Wells Fargo in the penalty box. All right. Wells Fargo and Jerry, uh, for misleading the public, that is easier to get out of your gym membership than it is to get out of the mob. You get a double minor, two minutes for misleading the public, one for Jerry, one for Wells Fargo. And Dave, if you remember when uh, Chandler wanted to leave his gym, he took Ross with him. When they got back, they were both members of the gym. Like... <laughs> So, you know, this is, ne- this is, this is, you know, tale as old as time, as they say. And, well, at least as old as the 90s. And I feel like there was a news radio plot about this as well. Two fine sitcoms, I must say. Indeed. Chuck, it was in your penalty box. All right. So this did not come up during the Flyers segment. So my penalty box has been bumped for a penalty box favorite, Mike Sealski. Um, Mike, I don't know if this is your first time in the penalty box, but it's not the first time I've been mad at you, certainly. Um, Mike and I have a bit of a history. Um, he made me, <laughs> me late in leaving for a bed and breakfast on Valentine's Day 20, um, 2014. Um <laughs> Because I was arguing with him over an article that he wrote that played fast and loose uh, with some details. At the time, it was an interview he had with Ed Snyder. He was famously very critical of Ed Snyder. And Ed Snyder had said, 
you know, he truly believes that if Pronger didn't get hurt, the Flyers would have won the cup. He, Sealski, interpreted this to mean a minor injury Pronger had in 20, um, 2010-2011, and that that's what Snyder meant, as opposed to the career freaking ending injury that he had uh, the very next year. Um, but that's not why he's in this time. Why he's in this time is over an article he wrote about Elaine Vigneault's comments and calling out Giroux and calling out Giroux saying that he's not an inspiring leader. He does not inspire the players on the flyers. And when asked about this on Twitter, someone had asked him, I believe uh, Tom Fody, uh, who was previously with the sons of Penn um, podcast. And I think the sons of Penn website, I don't know if they're still active, but he was with it. Asked um, Sealski, hey, how do you mean that he's not inspiring? And Sealski very helpfully answered, he does not inspire people. <laughs> nice job, jackass. Next up was about the quote uh, AV was giving. And Jake Voracek, he said, was laughing at Vigneault why he made this quote. A lot of people, including myself, said, how do you know that's what he was laughing about? No one else reported it. I asked uh, Sielski if what Jake's comments were when he presented this to him. He never did. He later changed the article to say, what was he laughing about? Was he laughing as coach or did someone say something funny? Who's really to know? Now, this was hours later. Um, the whole piece was a hot piece of garbage. It was not based in fact. It was slandering players. You can make an argument that there's players on this team that need to change. Maybe Giroux isn't a good leader. I think it's a bad argument, but you can try to make that argument. This article was a piece of trash. It was irresponsible. It, it was muckraking, like the literal definition of it. So Mike Sealski, um, you are getting a two-minute minor because I haven't given out a minor today. You're getting a two-minute minor for reckless journalism. I mean, I quote the great Egon, print is dead. <laughs> I imagine uh, that this guy must have like a dartboard that he throws darts of uh you know with Chuck's uh icon from uh from Twitter all at you know god damn that ciders uh, perhaps uh, he was one that said the flyers need a culture change due to their culture of winning you know when they hired Baruby he's was critical of Ed Snyder. He's just, he's like a hot take artist and then claims like not to be. He's like, no, 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 it's very logical. And yeah, but um, I stopped harping on him as much as I can. I only, I only directed like three or four comments at him. And then I went to my wife for a pat on the head. I said, I was so good. I did not yell at people on the internet today. <laughs> Well, that's uh, it's a much healthier uh, Sunday to, to yeah. not yell at people on the Internet. Um, but we'll be back yelling at you next Monday. Um, until then, uh, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Potadelphia wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. 
Uh, if you have some time in your podcast listening day, be sure to check out the whip around. They're back. Episode 101. They're back online. So it's great to uh, great to have the guys back on on Wednesdays uh, over at the whip around. So make sure to check them out um, until then. Have a great day at work, everybody. We're out of here.